Please do sit down, and we're going to pray together, as Tom just mentioned. So let's pray.
Dave for leading us in prayer this morning. <clears throat> so, today we continue our series, which is um, loosely based on, on some of the subjects that are covered in the Alpha course. And you'll remember that we're starting an Alpha in September, and that I'm really, I really want it to be a whole church initiative, something that we, that we all... Um, that we all get involved in, that we all take ownership of. And the reason that we're doing this series is because I've been in a situation before where a church has sort of said, invite people to Alpha, invite people to Alpha. And before I'd done an Alpha course, I wouldn't have had a clue what it was. And I think it's really important that, that we understand what it is we're inviting people to so that we're better equipped to be able to answer the inevitable questions that come um, when we make the invitation. Well, why? Why should I? What's the, what, what, what is it? Um, and so we've, we've looked at many subjects over the past few weeks, and today we come on to the question of evil. Now, this is the subject where, when you're running an alpha course, there can be people who have been coming along for six or seven weeks, and they've not said a word, and it's been really difficult to try and get them talking, and suddenly, as soon as you mention evil, they, they suddenly perk up. There's this, there's this really strange sort of fascination with 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 the, the dark side. For some people, they have an image of, um, of Mordor from Lord of the Rings, the, the eye of um, uh, Saruman. And they kind of imagine that. Other people see, um, the name escapes me, the guy from Harry Potter. Voldemort, thank you very much. You see, there's always someone who knows it. And they imagine the, the, the face from Harry Potter. Um, for other people, it might be Hannibal Lecter or something like that. But we have all of the, these ideas of what evil looks like, of what Satan looks like. And for a lot of people, this is the kind of thing that they might have in mind. It's this image that's been built up. Um, some of it comes from the book of Revelation, the references to, to the beast. Um, and some of it, is, it comes from Greek mythology, um, and some of it kind of just comes from Disney and Hollywood and influences like that. But it's very easy to become obsessed by Satan. And that's not something that we should do. But it's also very easy to completely ignore the dark side of theology the dark side of our faith, the fact that there is a spiritual battle, an unseen battle going on in the world. And if we ignore that, then we can run the risk of not playing our part, of fighting the fight that God calls us to fight in whichever way he calls us to do it. You see, if we, if we ignore evil, if we ignore the dark side of theology, then we kind of make our own faith in God a lot harder. Imagine, for instance, if we say, well, I believe, I believe in God. I believe that the Father created the world. I believe that he, he sent his Son. I believe in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But I don't believe in Satan. Well, firstly, if we take that approach, then we're at odds with Jesus. Jesus believed in Satan. Not in a positive way, but he acknowledged the presence. But also, when we look at the world, how can our world view... How can our worldview, in which we say that there is a God who has power and authority, dominion over, over everything and everyone, 
How can we reconcile that with all of the devastation and the suffering and the pain and the conflicts that we see in the world around us if we don't believe that there is an evil side to the spiritual realm? Michael Green put it like this. If there were no Satan, it would be hard to resist the conclusion that God is a fiend, both because of what he does in nature and what he allows in human wickedness. So in other words, if we, if we, if we take Satan away and say, no, there's no such thing, I absolutely refuse to acknowledge him, then actually, well, we've got a God that allows all these awful things to happen and does nothing about it. And that's not the God that we believe in. So we're only going to briefly look at Satan because Satan isn't worthy of our focus. Our focus this morning is on God. Make no mistake about that. But our focus is also on how God calls us to play our part in the spiritual battle that is going on around us. The spiritual battle, the the victory has already been won, but we're in a kind of a, a mopping up campaign, if you like. There are still bad things that happen in the world. We've heard about some of them today, but... But we fight the cause of a God who is good and just and loving and who has already put in place the final victory. So we see evil mentioned in Scripture. We see in in Genesis 3... The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So, actually, our first picture of evil in the Bible is not little red guy with hooves and horns and a trident. It's far more subtle than that. You see, evil is subtle. Evil gets into the tiny little hairline cracks in our faith and like like water getting into a road surface and then freezing and eventually causing huge potholes. If we're not careful to make sure that those cracks are carefully guarded, Satan is subtle and gets into those cracks. A seemingly innocuous question, did God really say that? Leads to the fall of mankind. We see in Isaiah 14 a hint, a hint at where evil comes from. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, Isaiah writes, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. So we have this idea, and some people, some people take that as, as, as a clear indication that Satan is, is a fallen angel. Now, 
there are various theories about where evil comes from, about what Satan is. And we're not going to explore all of those today, and we certainly wouldn't on, on Alpha. The fact is, evil is in the world. We cannot deny that as Christians. If there wasn't evil in the world, then we wouldn't have needed Jesus. We wouldn't have needed someone to come and die on the cross, taking the, the penalty, paying the penalty for our sin. Because if there's no evil, then there is no measure of sin. If there is no evil, then anyone and everything gets into heaven. And rather than us longing for heaven on earth, we end up with earth in heaven and all the impurity and pollutants would mean that heaven was not the dwelling place of God. In the New Testament, Paul writes that we must every day put on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, that's really important for us to remember. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You remember last week we, we read that we are called to pray for our enemies. Now, when we, when, we, when we hear Mia's testimony this morning, and it brings to mind all of the awful, awful things that we would have seen on our, on our TV screens, in newspapers, online, over the past few months, these terrible images of suffering and pain, the separation and destruction, it's very easy for us to think, I want to pray for the downfall of, of, the, of Russian authorities. I want to pray that Putin will be assassinated. No, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to pray that Putin will experience the grace of God, will experience the, the love of a, a father who cares for him, who created him, who had a, a path laid out for him that is very different to the one that he's currently on. And we pray that he will come to recognize that. And that's hard. I can't imagine how, that, how hard that is for, for someone to hear who, who has had first-hand experience of, of what's being inflicted on the people of Ukraine. It's equally as hard for the parents who lost children in the awful shooting in the school in Texas a couple of weeks ago, who were probably on the march yesterday um, in America, the anti-gun march, who see various public figures completely ignoring calls to tighten gun control in America. That must be like a dagger to the heart. They must be praying against people like, but no. The Bible says that we must pray for them because, because they, they are not evil. They can be used to do evil things. Evil can work through them. They can become a tool of Satan, but they are not evil. Instead, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We don't like to think of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, but it's there. And that's what we're called to pray against. That's whose downfall we should be plotting, that we should be planning, that we should be seeking ways to contribute to. And that is a tough teaching. I spoke last week about 
my walk to church and being splashed and how in that instant I didn't want to pray for the person who was driving away. I wanted to hurl abuse at them and shout. That's not a tough teaching. That's just a, a flippant example. But actually, what we've heard this morning, that makes us realize just how hard that teaching is. But it also reminds us of the responsibility that we have not to conform to the ways of the world, but instead to focus on the spiritual realm that is all around us. We need to be aware of the tactics and strategies that we see in the world around us, that we see Satan employing. Now, first of all, in John chapter 10, verse 10, we read that the thief comes to kill and destroy. Satan is called the father of lies elsewhere. Make no mistake that often Satan is subtle. So often we, we see people falling away from church because they just become disillusioned and lethargic in their faith. The fire kind of dies down and goes out. Well, that's not just because we get a bit bored. That's because there is one that does not want us to be going to church. There is one that wants us to be discouraged. There is one that, that wants us to, to look, at, look at our church, whether here or whether it, this is elsewhere, and, and be discouraged and look at all the negative things. We should be doing this. That church is doing this. Why aren't we like them? That's when those, those cracks appear and Satan can get in and can very quickly drive that wedge that can destroy a church. The church is the bride of Christ. If, if a church is destroyed, then it, imagine how, how it pains Jesus. I've spoken before about his love for the church, about how, how, how he gave his, his life so that the church could have life. Imagine then the damage that Satan would love to do in a church. This is why it's so important when we talk about family that we genuinely mean it. It's why it's so important that when we come in here on a Sunday morning or any other time during the week, we, we see friends, we see people that we feel, we feel so close to because we know them, because we love them, because we care about them, because we have that strength of relationship, a relationship that cannot be battered and cannot be broken by the attacks that they may come under. Unforgiveness is another tactic that can be used. Forgiveness isn't, isn't cool, is it? It's not popular. We're kind of, society's almost slipped back into the, the teaching of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If someone wrongs us, then we, we, we want revenge. We want to get even. But of course, all that does is we, we kind of, it's never getting even. It's just hurting somebody who's already hurt us. And so they then want to get back at us. And then it just goes on and on and on. And before you know it, there's a feud. People fall out. More and more people get affected and involved. And it's not Jesus' design for us. And if it's, not, if it's not of God, there's only one other place it comes from. Unforgiveness should never 
should never cause Christians to fall out, to come into conflict. Forgiveness is, is another hard teaching. Sometimes forgiveness has to, we have to accept that we're not going to get our own way. And as human beings, we don't like not getting our own way. But again, unforgiveness can damage a church. It can damage individual faith. We must forgive as Jesus forgives us. We must learn to make that a reality. If we harbour any unforgiveness, if there are people in our lives who we, we simply, we just don't like them, well, Jesus loves them. And if we love Jesus, we need to find a way to love them. Now, I know and you know that there are plenty of people in the world that are blooming difficult to love. But Jesus loves them. And so should we. Temptation. Now, of course, Jesus was tempted. Being tempted isn't a sin. Being tempted is the, the posturing, the squaring up, if you like. The sin is seeing that temptation and doing it. The Lord's Prayer um, translation that we often use, it says, um, lead us not into temptation. Mm. God doesn't lead us into temptation. We can, we can choose to put ourselves in a position of being tempted and we can choose to go through with the temptation. But let's not put the blame on God. Temptation is a, is a, is a very clumsy and clear tactic that, that Satan puts in our way, but it's so difficult to, 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 uh, to refuse to go down that route. But we need to recognize temptation when it's put in our path or the paths of others and make sure that we are able to resist, to help each other, to support each other. Make sure that going back to those, those relationships, that the strength of relationship is so much that we are looking out, that we are sensitive and aware of what's going on around us in our lives, but also in the lives of others, seeing people and, and stopping them before they, before they go down a path that we know is not of God. So where does that leave us? What is, what is our position in all this? As we, as we tackle this when we go through an alpha course, we often find people saying, okay, so there is suffering in the world, there is evil in the world, um, you talk, talk about these dark forces, so you also talk about a God has got power over everything. How, does, how do the two marry up? Where are we in all this? I don't, I don't get it. And one analogy that is sometimes used is the analogy of D-Day. Now, D-Day, 6th of June, 1944. Um, that's when the Allied invasion forces went over the channel and got a, um, landed on the beaches in Normandy, and it was the beginning of the invasion of Europe. And there was massive celebrations. People thought, wow, finally, we've, 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 we've made a step in the right direction. We're beginning to liberate the villages and towns of France. And, and there's more and more troops going over. And surely this can't fail. And there was real excitement. And if you were based over here or perhaps in the States or somewhere like that, then I dare say there was a sense of euphoria the invasion's happened. We're there. It's only a matter of time now. And of course, it was only a matter of time. But 
it was over a year later, almost a year later, that victory in Europe was declared. For that year, there was still fierce fighting. There was still atrocities. There was still loss of life on a huge scale and terrible things going on. The invasion has happened. The victory has been won. But we are in this time between Jesus ascending back to heaven and the second coming. We're in this kind of this mopping up campaign where we still see conflicts happening. We still see bad things going on. But we know, we know that every single day the invasion is going further and further and reclaiming more and more and that the day will come when Jesus returns. We know that that will happen. That is a promise of scripture. God has rescued us. That's where we are. Without, without the cross, without the resurrection, we would be weak to Satan's power. But because of what happened on the cross, Paul writes in Colossians, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So God's rescued us. That's what happened on the cross. There there are many, many things that happened on the cross, but one of them is that God rescued us through the sacrifice of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, through the conquering of the grave, we were rescued. And so we, we can live aware of evil in the world, but not obsessing over it. Not becoming focused on it. C.S. Lewis described it as a grain of sand on a beach. That's how insignificant the power of evil is. It's there. We can't dismiss it. It's there. But let's let's not advertise it to the world. It's a bit like when a when a footballer, when Michael Owen, for those of you who remember the, the World Cup in um, 1998, I think it was, Michael Owen, 18 years old, gets the ball on the halfway line against Argentina, runs at the Argentinian defence, they back off and back off, he gets to the edge of the box, shoots, top corner, goal. Brilliant goal, iconic goal. It's been replayed hundreds, thousands of times. Every time there's a, there's a major tournament, you'll see that goal played, especially if you're playing Argentina. On the back of that, the club that he played for sold hundreds of thousands of shirts to people who had never even heard of Michael Owen before that. They made tens, if not hundreds of millions on the back of it because word spread, word got out. Suddenly people are walking around with Owen on the back of their shirts. And that's what happens with, with all sorts of, of sports stars, or it might be authors, or it might be film stars. It could be anyone. As soon as, as soon as people make a name for themselves, other people talk through word of mouth. It spreads. And that's why it's important that we don't become fixated on evil. Because if we do, we find ourselves talking about it a lot. And if we talk about it a lot, then it sounds as if it's something that we are unnecessarily fearful of. And so we give the impression of being a church who, who worship in fear of Satan rather than in the glory of God. And we cannot allow that to happen. 
because we have a defense. We are not left to fend for ourselves. Instead, we have the armor of God that we read about in Ephesians 6. Paul writes, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So when we come under, under any sort of attack, when there's temptation or when lethargy creeps in or, or when we feel affronted or offended by somebody or something that goes on in the world, we can stand our ground. And after we've done everything, we stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We have the armor of God. If we, if we, if we read that on a regular basis and remind ourselves that every single day we should be equipping ourselves with this arm, armor, reminding ourselves of all the different aspects of it, then whenever we... Whenever we find ourselves coming under some sort of attack, we're equipped to deal with it. And we're equipped to protect those around us and to look after those around us. And notice that in all of that armor, most of it is, is about defending ourselves and, and, and protecting ourselves. But there is one weapon that we have. There is one sword that is listed. And it is the word of God. It is the word of God. If we, don't, if we don't carry a Bible with us, or if we don't at least have Scripture as a regular part of our worship life, studying Scripture and absorbing it and, and, and identifying the benefit that it gives us, then we turn up to a fight without a weapon. And that's not going to go well. Scripture plays such a central role in defending us and helping us to make sure that we play our part in the battle against evil. I was reading a book this week um, by a guy called Nigel Wright, who used to be a principal of um, Spurgeon's College. And um, by the time I started at Spurgeon's, he had he had retired. Um, but when I did the Equip to Minister course, which was ten or twelve years ago now, um, he was he was still there, still lecturing, and he would always manage to drop into lectures. Um, oh, there's a book I've written on this, and he'd drop it in, and it became a bit of a running joke. But with with this book, um, he he relayed a story. He said he said. When I was, um, when I, I'd, I'd written a few books and I'd just become principal of college, I um, was at a family meal and my, my mother-in-law had a big birthday coming up. And I said to her, what would you like for your birthday? And she said, well, um, it would really mean an awful lot to me if you would uh, dedicate your next book to me. 
That'd be really touching. That'd be really nice. And he said, he said, I thought for a moment. And then I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. No problem. She said, really? I said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. No problem at all. She said, oh, thank you so much, Nigel. That means so much to me. What's it called? He said, it's called The Fair, the fair Face of Evil, A Theology of the Dark Side. <laughs> that made me laugh. But in that, in the last chapter, he talks about a holy war. And, and throughout, throughout this book, um, Wright makes sure that he, he really presses home the fact that we should not obsess, that we should not give too much credit to Satan. We should not look for a demon behind every problem in life, because most of the time, it's just a problem that we have to overcome. Not every little problem that we encounter in life, not every illness, not every, every challenge is is evil. And we have to make sure that we, we recognize that. Because we must also be aware that um, there is a risk of hypocrisy in that. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we, if we convince ourselves that there is everything, every challenge in life is, is, is a demon behind it, then what about when we do bad things? What about when we sin? We know that we commit sin on a regular basis. We, we, we are sinners. We try not to, but we do. And so, actually, does that mean that we have demons in us? No, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so if we go around looking at the world saying, well, there's, there's all these there's, there's demons are, um, actively working in every, every negative situation in the world, well, that's not right. That's not right. Don't give too much credit where it doesn't belong. Instead, remember that whenever we meet a challenge in life, God has put inside us the strength and the resources and the faith to overcome it. So, how do we attack? Because this isn't a, a, a story of, of defense. Instead, we need to know, as Christians, how do we attack? Well, one of the ways that we attack is by coming together. An army is, is no good if just individuals go off and say, well, I'm, I'm fighting, I'm going to fight the enemy on my own. I don't believe in the army. I'm going to go and fight on my own. Well, the enemy just picks them off one by one. That's not, a, that's not an effective way of fighting a war. In 1 Peter, we're reminded that the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. If there's a whole army of people, you can't devour one. Well, you might do, but you're soon going to be destroyed yourself. And so we mustn't, we mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that we can do this on our own. The church coming together forms the army of God. And as a church, Nigel Wright gives us some pointers of what we can be in, this, in taking the fight to the enemy. Well, we can be a believing church, first and foremost. Our faith must be unshakable. We must make sure that we are totally committed to one another and totally committed to God. We must make sure that we are, we are bringing before God every issue that we have in life, every, every situation we find ourselves in. We must make sure that we bring everything before God, that God is a constant factor in our lives. Sometimes our prayer life can just be a conversation throughout the day. I, I do that quite a lot. I, I, <laughs> People, anyone would think I was talking to myself, but I'm not. I'm talking to God. 
It's a really helpful and healthy way to live life. Being in conversation with God. And God does talk to you at the same time. We can be a believing church. We can be a thinking church. Thinking of of what God has in store for us. Of how we present ourselves to the world without compromising out the values of the scripture. Of making sure that that we, we read the teachings of Jesus and then act upon it. A thinking church that understands the needs of a community and reaches out and does everything that we can to serve and to address those needs and to show the people that they are loved by the church. A proclaiming church, not being ashamed of the gospel, proclaiming gospel values and gospel teaching wherever we happen to be. We can be a praying church. Prayer is one of the most powerful weapons that we have in this fight. And if we, if we come together and pray, if we get to, to our evening services, to our encounter evenings, the group that meets on a Friday in the prayer room on the Friday morning, these things go on. And if we come together and we pray together, it's a powerful thing to do. That's not to say that individual prayer isn't, isn't valid. No, of course not. But corporate prayer has a unique power to it. We encourage each other. We, we worship together. We pray together in the spirit of God. We need to be a praying church. We need to be a discerning church. A church that can put our own desires and our own thoughts and our own will to one side. And instead... Clear that, clear that path so we can hear from God, so that we can discern what it is that God is calling us to do, so that we can recognize the opportunities that God can and will put our way. And then we can decide and discern how we're going to make the most of those opportunities. A loving church. I mean, that should go without saying, shouldn't it? But it doesn't. Not in every, not in every case. Sometimes you hear terrible stories of churches that have inward conflicts going on. And a church that is at war with itself can never be a church that is going to build the kingdom of God because it's rotten at the core. We must be a loving church. An authoritative church. A church that is not afraid to claim the authority that God has given us. It might be that we're at odds with the world. It might be that we don't always feel that the authority of God is is respected in the world. But that doesn't mean that we haven't got that authority. We are called to serve God, the author and creator of all things. And it's with his authority that we can go out into the world that we can proclaim the gospel, that we can show the love and the mercy and the peace and the grace that Jesus himself taught. A listening church. A church that, that looks at the world, that looks at the community, that listens to each other and to those around us. A church that doesn't just bring God a shopping list of requests in prayer, but instead 
just as important as us praying to God. We should be praying from God. We should be receiving from God, listening to him to maintain that relationship with him. So often when, when we come together as a church and we pray about something, we find that we've all had the same answer. And there's a reason for that. It's because if we're a discerning church and a listening church, then that means that as we've listened, we've discerned the voice of God. And so we've all come to the same answer because we've all been listening to the same voice. We need to be a listening church. We need to be an engaged church, a church that is active and doing things. I know at the moment people, people tell me that there, the church was a lot more active pre-COVID. There was, a, there was loads going on, loads of groups used the, used the building during the week. And I'm pleased to say we are building that back up. It's taking time, but we are building that back up, engaging with our community. We need to be engaging with each other, not just on a, on a Sunday morning, as brilliant as that is, but, but making sure that we engage together, we share together but also, of course, engaging with God through scripture, through prayer, through discernment, through meditation, through listening. And then finally, a free church. Now, we're a Baptist church, not a free church, you might say, but that's the wrong, that's the wrong free. A church that is free to listen to God, to discern the will of God, and then to go and to take that and to, to run with the opportunity, to grasp it and to use it. Now, I know God's got a vision for this place, and it's something that we're working through at the moment, and I'm so excited because so many ideas have come to us, and, and they all seem to be along the same sort of lines. I don't know what the church is going to look like in two years' time, but I'm confident it's not going to look as it does now. We're going to be doing more and more. We're going to be achieving more together, and I'm so excited for that. I can't do that on my own. I couldn't, can't do any of that on my own, and nor can any one of you. But together, together we have been called by Jesus into this place to form church, and that is such a privilege. That is such a privilege. And we focus our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we do not focus our eyes on evil. Because there is nothing that Satan can do to stop the victory of God. It has been won. And we have this privilege of joining with God in building his kingdom. We have no fear of darkness because we worship the light of the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the power and the authority that you give us through your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that even though we see so much evil in the world, you sent your Son. You fulfilled the promise that you'd made. And that through Jesus, evil has been defeated. Through Jesus, Satan has no power. 
Instead, we worship you who has power over everything. But Father, we know that there is still this this spiritual battle going on. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us as a church and as individuals be protected against attack, but also to be equipped to launch attacks. And Father, we know these these are not attacks of violence. These are not... This is not conflicts we're talking about. This is love. To take your love and to share it with people. To soften hearts, to change lives. Father, we thank you that you love each and every one of your creation. That there is nobody that you would reject if they were to call out to you. Father, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your presence. And we ask, Lord, that as a church, you will help us to be all of those things that we've just listed and to be the most effective church we can be in discerning and in acting your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close with a song of dedication through which we can say, Lord, you have my heart and I will search for yours. Take my life and lead me on.
Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And we thank you for your presence amongst us today. And Lord, we pray that you will bless each and every one of us as we go out into the world, whatever we have to face this week, whatever challenges or problems we might encounter, whatever triumphs and joys that await us. Father, we know that we do all of those things in your presence, the presence of the living and active God who loves us. Lord God, we thank you and we pray that you will go with us. In Jesus' name, amen.